What's up, Bill? How you doing, man? All right, we're here, man. I'm doing okay, man. We we're had a back. Nice, nice little break there. A lot of baseball shit in the last first episode. I love know? baseball, man, and uh, <laughs> I love talking baseball, especially with somebody who's played it on that on, that, on, on your level, um, Tim. But uh, you know, Long Island became more lacrosse though after after the all the baseball heads left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, know much about lacrosse. Um, I don't dislike it. It looks like there's some contact in it, some action. Um, I, I get the game. It's got the stick and the ball, and you, you, you're running. It's almost like football, right? You got the little net. You flip it. Yeah. It looks. I see kids practicing. And guys wear little white shorts. You like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, Bill, was that you? You like that? Why are you trying no, to force no, me, man? No, um, I get the look. I'm not bad. I don't have anything against lacrosse. Really, it's it was the, we, we talked about soccer. How much it bothers me, but I'm sorry, Pam. I know you're probably a big fan. You're your Italian heritage, right? Right, you know, bocce ball. Bocce ball. Bocce, that's well, that's big. A, I'd rather watch bocce ball. You could drink a glass of wine when you're playing that. I, while I like you're playing to, it, I like to watch. But actually, yeah. I played bocce ball. It's pretty exciting, man. You get <laughs> no, it is. You get it's, it's, and you see the old Italian guys playing that, right? <laughs> There's a nice court over in uh, the uh, the square in Queens. You know the restaurant over there. There was a restaurant in Manhattan on the Upper East Side that had a bocce ball court inside the restaurant. Well, the one in Queens I'm talking about is in Corona. And it's across the street from the Lemon Ice King, and that that restaurant there uh, supposedly uh, it has connections. It's mobbed up. That con- that mobbed restaurant up. that's been there for years. Yeah, Mob guys like playing bocce ball. Old Italian guys like to play, <laughs> yeah. and some of them happen to be. Do they know, wear those high black socks with shorts? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they. Well, I think they wear like polyester pants and the sandals with the black. Remember socks. when the mob guys used to always wear the workout suits back in the sixties and seventies? I think every, well, it was the eighties, wasn't it? Eighties, yeah. Tra- and everybody yeah. wore those. I wore those too. They wore them. They had no intention of working out. They just wore them. Listen, we're gonna see how long we can go without bringing Tim back in. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> what's up, Tim? Man, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you were great the first hour, man. Uh, now we're gonna raise the stakes. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. Set <laughs> talk about very, police work. So now. yeah, so well we now were, you got to set your bar very low. We were we were in uh, we were in Manhattan South, and uh, you were hooked up. Yeah, hooked up. Balls <laughs> dipped in butter. Yeah. You don't know how it happened that you wanted to be mad. It had nothing to do with baseball. Then we found out it had a little bit to do with baseball, but you didn't want to play baseball. Yeah, anymore. the Jewish aunt and the new rabbi. Also, he wanted to be so in the south. Got, uh, yeah, well, we, we're going to get to the book in a second. One second. Wait, wait, wait. We got to do the whole thing. Sorry. With the book. No, it's okay. When, whenever they put something up on the grease board, that's for us. I got to tell that people every week because we got to <laughs> find a different system. Maybe we can find it. This is know. for Mark. <laughs> so. Uh, one of the reasons why you had you here was not only were you on the job, but uh, you know what? Before we get to the um, the book, let me just let's finish with the cop stuff here. Sure. You're working as a as a cop in the, in Manhattan South, and then uh, somehow you, I guess, what happens? You become you, you decide you're going to take the test. How many years you got in before you become sergeant? No, I was 13, 13 years in before I took sergeant. All right, so you had a bunch of fun then, huh? I did. I, I making worked. collars and stuff. Oh, every, but you made detective before sergeant, right? I did. I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I mean, I worked in a. You know, like a street narcotics unit in the precinct, and then I went to anti-crime, and then... You were buying drugs? No, no, in the precinct, so you, you, oh. you, you're picking off bodies. And then uh, I went to anti-crime in, in Midtown South, and then um, I went up to Manhattan North Narcotics and 
2006. And you got your shield out of there? I did. I did. It was great. It was Fun times, right? Oh, my God. It's a, you it's said a, Manhattan North? North yeah, it was, I worked in the... Well, we, in the beginning, we principally covered the three, I four. went to a couple of your Christmas parties. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> Listen, folks, if you could find out, now it's too late this season, but especially if you're on the job. If you're new on the job, do me a favor. Find out when the Manhattan North Christmas party is and make it, make it your, um, your goal to get there. It's usually going to... It's going to be in Manhattan... Uh, on the Upper West Side, uh, you're probably going to be scared to go into that bar uh, when you're on duty, but don't forget, you're <laughs> off duty right now. It's, right? <laughs> Tell us, was that, were those, you weren't probably, were you married at the time? You probably was, weren't allowed to go to I those was. parties. You know, but you heard, right? Yeah, I, I really, uh, it wasn't my thing. You know what I mean, I, I was, uh, I had kids and uh, I was hustling, working two jobs and Running my own security company. Let's just say so. there's a there's a little bit of debauchery going on, yeah. or at least there used to be. I was a little guilty of that too, but um, <laughs> that was some party. That and the Manhattan DA's office party was a great party. Well, the 19th precinct, they have the Pierre. You have to be invited to that one though. Yeah, it's hotel. an exclusive. Uh, what do you got to drop? How much? Yeah, th- th- you got to be invited. Like, it was it's exclusive, tied. and all the big bosses show up. The girls that used to go to this Manhattan North Christmas party were all the hot girls from that either Harlem or Washington Heights neighborhood, and it was like, and everybody was looking for um, a GHI card. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> there was, this is where contracts were. They're made. looking for health insurance, right? This is where contract, marry a cop, get health insurance. That's where the contract was made, man. You know how many <laughs> how many future wives were met at that party. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about a hot Well, they girl, take man. one third, right? Yeah, man. That's where you make your contract right there. <laughs> your marriage contract. <laughs> the job is all about contracts, yeah. after all. So uh, you're in Manhattan, North Narcotics. You having a good time? Anything special happen over there? Um, I, listen, that was a great place to work. I mean, I was busy every day, you know. We'd Were you an investigator or an undercover? I was. I was an investigator. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a couple of years Explain in. Explain to our audience the difference. So, so, you know, everyone's in plain clothes. So, so think... You know, undercover is kind of like a, a, a double-toned answer because everyone's in plain clothes, so really you're an undercover. But the real undercovers are the guys out there buying drugs in buildings. Mm-hmm. So so for the for the purpose of the conversation, if you refer to an undercover, you're talking about the guys that are putting themselves in harm's way buying, buying the drugs. And they refer yeah, to because him as the uncle. The, yeah, uncle, the right? average uncle. person would think that if I say to you, I'm an, I work in narcotics, that you're probably an undercover. Right. That's the assumption. But there's not everybody can do undercover work. Correct. So the investigators are the ones that, I guess, uh, get the kites. We talked about kites on our show before. Okay. Yeah. So You do a little background investigation on that location? Sure, sure. I mean, so, so like, for the purpose of the conversation, really what you're trying to do, especially up in the heights, to, you know, violent narcotics overrun, is you, the idea is to use people to buy stuff on the street. Mm-hmm push that back into buildings so that you can then do search warrants, execute larger search warrants, mm-hmm. and then have those guys give up information on the bigger guys that are delivering. So if you're doing it right, they say inside out, outside in, right? So mm-hmm. get them on the street, street level, get inside, do big search warrants, do cases, push it outside, and lock up suppliers. And so that where we were, that was really the goal. And so, you know, it took you a couple of years to f- kind of figure out what you're really, really doing. And once, once we had a handle on it, you know, we built some big cases, Title Three cases, wiretapping, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and I think in 1998, the, the team that I was a part of did a uh, and the case I was the co-case officer on seized 100 kilos of coke, which is wow. that's nice. Yeah, it's, it's Where'd you work mostly? How long did three, it take four, for you to three, finish three? that? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. How long did it take for you to finish that? To, f- to finish the case? Not to finish doing all that code. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, where'd you work mostly? 3 uh, 4, 3 yeah, 3 Yeah, principally, three, principally the 3 4. And then, you know, um, and, and you understand this well f- from your background. And in, in, in 1998, um, you know, they, was, they were looking for some transition. They, they, were, they wanted the team to take over, like, the homicide team out of narcotics. So right. Work. There well, was actually a homicide team out of narcotics yeah, back then. Yeah, there was. I and remember. So, I, I, again, I, I didn't even realize there's not now, but so... Well, there's not as many uh, narcotics murders anymore. Okay. Back yeah. then, it was yeah, just it like sure was. they were all killing each other, yeah, you know? You know, you get called to a, a, a spot on the, on the Riverside Drive, and it was someone rolled up in a rug. You know yeah. you know what I'm talking about. So they wanted the transition team to go up there, and, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> we, want, we were kind of lobbying for it as a group, and... Uh, there was a new captain, a new inspector in place, and I was like, listen, you guys work in the 3-4 precinct. How is it possible that an entire place with five teams hasn't had a kilo seizure since you guys hit for the 100? So, you know, it kind of was an opportunity for us, and I, I you know, spoke to the captain. I was like, if we get you a kilo tonight, will you make us the homicide team? And he was kind of like, don't fuck with me. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I'm getting my nuts broke because we don't have kilo seizures. I was like, if we get you a kilo tonight, will you, will you – you mm-hmm. give us the homicide team. And so that night, you know, we used our CIs and got a kilo of hair, and the guy's like, all right, you're the homicide team. So wow. that's, that's how we got there, you know. And, that's cool. Um, so you went into your trunk, you got the kilo out, here you go, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm smarter than that. It was in my partner's <laughs> trunk. <laughs> but so. then you were the Manhattan North narcotics. Now we're talking about a famous street uh, that we always talk about on here on the show, which is uh, would be 147th Street and Broadway over there. Yeah. That was an open air drug market, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a busy place. I mean, lookouts on the roof and stuff, and uh, it, w- it must have been impossible to. I heard it was impossible to get down that block. Yeah, there were, well, so so one four seven was an incredibly challenging block, and up in the three four Elwood Street was another block. Mm-hmm. From the early sixties, they had like the Elwood gang, and you couldn't get on the block. It was the, the block was bowed, and they wouldn't sell to anyone that they didn't know, and uh, I mean, it just wouldn't let anyone near the block, and we had. In, in our team, we had two absolutely. F- I mean, when I say phenomenal undercovers, guy Jose Lopez and and Eddie Rodriguez, they were they were phenomenal guys, phenomenal. And workers. they're still on the job now, right? Uh, one is, one isn't. Oh, I was going to say, you, and you just gave them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, they're not, they're this not, picture. Yeah, they're, they're long. They promote long promote. Well, what made them uh, really good undercovers? I just, just you, you know, one was an attention to detail guy. Like, I mean, knew his. He knew what he was walking into before he got there. He knew what he was buying. And, he, he knew how to converse. He knew how to not put himself in harm's way, but he knew how to communicate both with, like, low-level guys and big-level guys. You know what's really interesting about being an undercover is that you have to know the street, but at the same time, you have to lose all the copisms. Correct. Because we all do things and act like cops without even realizing mm-hmm. we're doing it. But if an undercover does that, it could cost him his yeah, life. Yeah, it could. It could. You know, and, and, and the other mm-hmm. undercover's father was, um, you know, in his youth as a child, his father was the heroin supplier of the East Village. Mm-hmm. So, so he he had an understand. I mean, he had a, a truly an, an understanding of the drug really trade, an understanding of what was going yeah, he on. He knows the business, and so he could. Uh, my, that kid could talk to anyone, and so he went on. A, he went on Elwood Street, um, which no one would sell to, and he he, he struck up a conversation with these guys, and they, he had him cracking up laughing because he's very he's a very funny kid. Not as funny as you, I get mm-hmm. it. You know, but mm-hmm. um, not stand up comic yeah, funny, yeah, but right. funny. And uh, <laughs> they, you know, so they asked him like, "Hey, well, what are we what are we calling?" He's like, "What else would you call me, Gordo? You know, like fat." And uh-huh. so they were cracking up laughing from that. He broke in, and we, we spent a couple of years on that block, you know, uh, 
He kept putting, buying up. Putting Title Threes on each side of the street, closing some homicides. Like it was, you know, was it, that, that, what is it, Title Three? Tell us. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so the feds call it a Title Three. It's an eavesdropping warrant. It's it's literally recording conversations off phones, devices. You know, so you're you're capturing information. It, it, in policing, like they say, it's the most intrusive work you can do because you have to exhaust every lead you have had, and you cannot lock these guys up without without actually capturing the, their information from their phones. So, you know, it requires like surveillance, buys. Were you listening to landlines or to cell phones? At that point, it's almost all cell phones. Yeah. You know, it's almost all And cell now phones. they get these phones that aren't even, they're just uh, throwaway phones. They yeah. only use them for a week or they right. use them for a couple of days, right? Yeah, and that was starting to happen up there. So you're constantly having to, your wires are going down and you're having to recapture yeah. information. You know, it, but, it, you know, to explain to our audience, every wire, you have to get a search warrant for it. So it's time-consuming. Yeah, it, it, it takes time. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's something that the, the actual the district attorney is signing off on. You're not signing off on that right. warrant. The DA does. So that thing's got to be tight because they're not putting their name on that. Sure, sure. You know, so. So when you say that that has to be tight, the information that led to you wanting to get this uh, white uh, this warrant for to, to drop uh, eavesdrop on their phone. All the background has to be. It has to be there, so there's nobody coming in there with like a steel dossier type of thing, right? No, and you're getting not, you're, information you're, on the president trying yeah. to anyway, right? You no. actually had to do your work, yeah, right? You, 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 you actually had to find dirt. Is that what yeah, you're trying you, to? You, you had to do your work. All right, yeah. I just well, to, to get a, to that. get a warrant for our audience, you need probable cause, and that's got to be sworn to before a judge. Right. You have to. Have, you, you not only have to have your probable cause, <laughs> but you have to you have to exhaust everything you have. You so. need, yeah, you need to do more work <laughs> to, <laughs> to get a kilo off the street than the president of the White House. <laughs> Basically, that's what you're telling us. So uh, it sounds interesting that the narcotics work. Um, and you were, you were, this is why you were a detective or you got promoted and you went back there too? No, no. I, I, uh, so I was a detective there and then I, uh, I left narcotics and I went to OSA. I went to the organized crime investigation. Oh, okay. And we started, I, I started working mob cases. You know, wow. Bananos, Lucases. And again, that principally was like wiretapping again. Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, That's almost all surveillance though, right? It, it really is. It's, it's hours in Sort cars, of boring, you know? right? Hey, it, you know, it's slow. It's yeah. slow, but you know, it, but you're watching somebody else's life, you know. I mean, that's what you're doing. And these wise guys are breaking into parking meters. Right? <laughs> Is there a fascination though? Now that you're, um, I remember one time we had a, a situation where we had a, a pattern robber, a pattern burglary, and we set up uh, an apartment, you know, to to be to be in this complex, and uh, there was a quad there, and you know, on our uh, while we were watching this apartment. Um, we were also well, only one person had to watch the monitor. We had a detective in the uh, in another room, a female detective, and uh, she would leave her door open and pretend like she was gonna go out, and all her electronic equipment was out. We just wanted to see if it was one of the. Um, this was this was all taking place in a college, okay, in the, in the in the dorm. So when you looked out the window, you know you could see in the quad in other people's, um, you know, apartments. You know, and it's it's an interesting thing to be like now all of a sudden you're like a peeping tom, you know. It's hard, to, like so you become part of like uh, you're like a peeping tom into this person's life. It's interesting in a way. It's is it is it a weird thing to break away from it and say stop? I can't anymore. Or I'm, you know, I would say yes and no in mm -hmm. in the sense that by the time I got to the to the organized crime team, you know, they're, they're federal task force. So you're working with 
collectively with either the FBI or mm -hmm. I was with the FBI. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, so when you're working with the FBI, your job is basically to show them how to do police work? Is that what it is? <laughs> what was your experience working with the FBI? Did you, you like it or know, you didn't like you it? Know, it it I'm was sure they're great guys. It, it was just busting balls. No, I I would say like legitimately, if it was done right, you know, if you if you could take the best of both worlds, which is like the the, the financial backing and the prosecutorial arm of of the of the federal, federal government, government right. and 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 the the agents are largely their accountants and lawyers, so they're, they're tremendous diggers on a computer. I mean, they'll find you the obscure things that you may not find. Right. And if you take that. And then you take the street knowledge of the, of, of the New York cop, and you put those two together. It's phenomenal. And and, and you know, and and where it goes wrong sometimes is, you know, the the FBI is an international group, and sometimes in smaller places like let's say Iowa, they walk in and it's kind of like, hey, we're here, step aside. Yeah, get that the that does not work here. in yeah. New York. Mm -hmm. New York cops. Like, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at the Boston Marathon bombing to see the bitch slapping that must have went on behind the scenes with that, because this is Boston. Right. Could you imagine if that happened in New York and the FBI would say, we'd be, get the yeah. fuck out of here. I mean, they wouldn't I even have a chance. A, I almost got into a fist fight with an FBI agent. But that was on a TV show that airs in February. It's called FBI's Most Wanted, where I play Detective Cortez. So check that out. It's on CB CBS. Uh, it starts in January. My episode airs in February. FBI's Most Wanted. What a Thank shameless anyway, fucking plug that was. Back huh? to our nice. show. Yeah. So, so, so my answer is, I, I didn't have that experience of negativity with the bureau. Yeah. I, you know, the they, they, the guys we worked with. By and large, pretty good people. Guys and girls who work with pretty good people, and 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 those groups. Were but at four o'clock, did they sprint out the door and go home? I'm, do, look, they don't have a four to twelve. They just do uh, day I tours. I listen. They, do they? They're, they're, look, he, he doesn't want to talk bad about the FBI. Actually, He's the first cop I ever heard. Then their needs of the department, right? So they're kind of like oh, needs yeah. of the department. Yeah. Okay, so, but, but by they, and large, their they department work. needs them to end at four. To end at four. They're eight at night to six in the morning. I'm sorry, eight in the morning to six at night, and then on Fridays. Maybe you know. I mean, if, I, if, if look, I'll say this because you guys want you you want no this. no you can say uh, whatever if, you want. I'm just if, if I were going to commit a federal crime, uh -huh. I would do it after one o'clock on a Friday. Oh shit! <laughs> Is that fair? Yeah. You look, my detectives they you know they made appointments for a quarter to four on the detour <laughs> to make their collars, <laughs> right. and they in homicide these guys didn't start working till they were on overtime. Uh -huh. They thought the first eight hours were to do all their errands and shit. <laughs> Eat, you know, and, and and you know what they did as soon as the, they went on overtime? The first thing they did? Go eat. They ate, yeah. Because <laughs> food tastes much better at $90 an hour. You got to start, yeah, you we well, got to start to do, you, gotta, you don't know when the next time you're going to eat it. That's right. First grade detective making 90 100 an hour. Food tastes so much better, you know. Uh, that's great. That's great. So, so. Uh, so we, anyway, we're talking about the, uh, the we got the OCS stuff. No, yeah. it's all right. So the the, the the detective that like I really worked with, my partner uh -huh. when I got to the organized crime team, he he actually drives uh, Roger Goodell now. He's retired. And he's okay, and he and he's a, ter a terrific investigator. That's the NFL um, commissioner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's a terrific guy, and he was a terrific investigator. And when I got there, he I knew nothing about organized crime. You know, I mm -hmm. never done anything like it. And he kind of gave me the how to of how they work, how they. How they're extorting people and Rico casing. He, he, you know, he's covering the Bronx, and there was this, uh, you know, at that time the Gambino head of the family was this guy Vinny Bassiano, and mm -hmm. he was he was deep into his case trying to trying to put this guy away, and so uh, you know he, I, I, he gave me the education of like, listen, these you got to understand it's very subtle how they do things. They'll go in a bar and like sell them cheap liquor and cheap. Cheap booze, and then they'll ask him to put a Joker poker machine in there and tell him you keep seventy five percent of the profits. 
I would just want 25. So it's like straight profit in the, on its outset for, for the mm. bar. And then little by little, they start to like raise the prices and mm. take a little more from these, you know, the Joker poker machines be, until the point that they strong arm these guys. Like, all right, well, we're going above the number and we're going to charge you like, let's say, $25, $30 more a keg. And we're taking all the Joker poker machine money. And the guy's like, fuck you, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And they're like, I think you should because it's probably in your best interest. Mm-hmm. And then that night, they light a dumpster on fire and run it right through the window of the bar. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is going to happen with regularity unless you buy in. You know? yeah. So it's subtle at first, and then before you know it. Well, they make those, uh, those little things all with, uh, with remember, Goodfellas? Molotov cocktails. Well, they're going to light them all up before <laughs> yeah. it burns the place right. down. You know, it's very subtle. Right when you sucked every single thing that you could possibly <laughs> suck out of it. <laughs> You torch the place, right? Yeah. Right after that, you torch it. Yeah, I mean, so, so he, you know, they, they I kind of got in. Let me ask you something: If you had a family member that owned a restaurant, knowing what you know now, what would you tell them to do if that happened to them? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're in a tough spot. You're, I mean, honestly, you're asking me now. If, if no, they, what if you go right to the FBI and say, "Look, these scumbags are trying to extort me"? Yeah, I mean. So the FBI. So what are you going to let them extort you? I I I think the FBI. I, you know, in in a in a place like that, right out of the get go, they'd put F birds on you and they'd start to record you to see if they could capture who's coming in. So they'd be on that case. Right. But know. when the first person comes in and approaches you about buying liquor at a cheaper price, that's business. Yes. Now the problem is, is like how much cheaper, right? Because sometimes if it's too good to be true, it is. And now you you see now you, you you created that first link with them. And that's what you're saying. Yeah. So how much is a discount? Like you know, if I'm buying a, you know, this bottle of liquor for ten dollars over here, and the a mob guy comes in and he's like, "Listen, I'll give it to you for four fifty. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm, Where I'm it's so like, yeah, you know yeah. how much money I can make if I sold it. Shit, I can make an extra. Yeah, it'll I mean, be mostly all mine. You know, and you got to remember that they're also sending some of their people into those bars. Like, and when I say people, not always good people. Like low-level shitbag alcoholics and drug guys, mm-hmm. and they're going in that bar, and they're letting them spend money. So outwardly, it's like, hey, we're getting more clients, too. Like, look at mm-hmm. this. There's an increase in our clientele. There's an increase in our profit margin. Oh. O- only those, those like, low-class animals, they start, like, sit buying drugs, and they're, they're getting high in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And so this, what was once a nice bar, starts to, like, deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, so they're, they're catching. You know any of the bar that's still running like that? <laughs> Because uh, that sounds like the place I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, that's great. So you do it a narcotics thing, and then you make the mistake of taking the sergeant's test, huh? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't regret taking the sergeant's <laughs> no, test. I'm just kidding. Nah, I'm I just did. kidding. Yeah. Uh, so you take the sergeant's test, and where do you land? Uh, 3 Oh, really? Yep. What year was that? 2004. Okay. Uh, we had a comment earlier this week about um, the fact that we mentioned, you or we used... A, a dirty thirty in our um, on, the, and I think it was basically it must be from our promos. Yeah, and you got to realize we're trying to promote a show to to uh, people that may be on the fence. They, they like law enforcement stuff. They don't know about the show. That might raise the curiosity to the civilian listener. So shame on us. I mean, we don't want to constantly keep pushing the fact that the thirtieth precinct had a problem at one time or another. But it is a fact. The shit happened there. Yep. Uh, there is a book called The Dirty 30. We didn't create it, but we don't want to uh, keep perpetuating um, 
a, a negative stereotype. That's not our job here. We shame on us. We did it for the promotion of the podcast. That's what I'm assuming that we got the criticism for. Bill. No, I think that you know we're talking to Vic Hollyfield. He was there during it. He was an honest cop, and you know we, we were just talking mm-hmm. about some of the things that happened while he was there and how this, these two parallel investigations, one by the Manhattan DA's office and one by the feds, were running as the precinct was running amok. Two guys committed suicide. Mm-hmm. A cop was going to shoot another cop in front of the desk. So we couldn't not talk about it. Right. You know, it was important yeah, but to I talk think, about it. I think it's, I, I, with the criticism that we got was that I think, because I doubt whoever made the criticism actually listened to the show, because if you listen, then you would you'd see what happened and how we got into it and how we really didn't, exploit it we're not investigative reporters here by any stretch of the imagination we covered it but in promoting the show that's what i think that they saw in the promotion when you're pushing the the episode that week you may say he was a sergeant in the dirty 30 so we're pushing that and that's part of promotion but you know something when we when we spoke to uh chief animal we spoke about that too which yeah, the, that show didn't come on I'm, yet I'm, I'm going back to, i'm hopping on the promotion thing yeah. i think the criticism that we got from somebody who made a comment on a, one of our social media things was that you got to stop. You, you, should, you guys, out of anybody should know, you should stop saying dirty 30. And you can't, you know, if you're talking to somebody that worked there. But I actually told him if he wants to censor us, he can start his own podcast and talk about whatever he yeah, wants yeah, to yeah. talk Listen, about. You know, criticism is not yeah, always bad. Yeah, he can right. criticize I wanna, us. I don't, I don't care. mind pissing people off. I'm you know? just such a nice guy. I get thick. Look, we're cops. We have thick skin, right? I'm a nice guy. We I don't care. bleed when we get nah. shot or stabbed. You know. But when you were working <laughs> in the 30th precinct as a sergeant, that was already done. That was long. Though. Yeah, yeah. No, it was already. That was so they moved on, and now you're up there, and uh, and the three O wasn't even that busy in those years, right? Well, no, the early years and the early No, 90s. no, I'm talking about when you got first there, got nah, there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when I first got there, it had its, its you know, its, its, its moments. It's yeah. Moment. But it was, but yeah. It was, so it was, it, it back, then you, back then, you were probably making that. You were probably coming home with maybe a couple hundred bucks a day. <laughs> Extra in your pocket a day when you were working in that, when it was dirty. But when you were working there, how much did you come home yeah, with? Yeah, day? yeah. <laughs> uh, every Thursday, a paycheck. That's right. I, I, I go to work with five dollars in my pocket, and I come home with five dollars in my pocket. Nah, the three, the three O was. It was actually it was a great place to be a sergeant. I, I wish I would have been there longer. You know, uh, I mean, how long did you stay there? Like five months. Uh huh. So it was basically like the, your little uh, training there. I'm not. Do I'm they not. still do no. that? You go to a six month command and then you go to your permanent command. I don't know. I didn't make it that far. I mean, oh, I went. Okay. Oh, I, the, Where'd the, you go? The three O was my my. That was my command. Permanent I was command. there for about four tours, and they made me this new sergeant. So oh. I took over this new team. It was terrific. I was really happy. And then in uh, a couple of days before Christmas, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine who's, uh, you know, he, he got drafted too. He's an internal affairs lieutenant. He's like, hey, congratulations, you're joining us. I was like, hang up the phone and shut up. You know, stop. And he's like, no, no, I'm not kidding you, dude. They just picked you up. So they kidnapped you? Yeah, you I was I was one of the guys that got me. You know, so I was one of the draftees as a sergeant. Because so. you had so they, 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 when, they, yeah. when you were a rookie, they kidnapped you, right? They took you uptown, and now they, you become <laughs> a sergeant, right. they kidnap this you again? This is a pattern of getting kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> so the... Um, you so were in my building then, 3280 Broadway. No, no, I actually went to Group 41. I did the OCCB group, so I was, oh, Queens, okay. I was over to 59th Street Bridge. What did you think of working over there? Yeah, that was a long two years, three two. months and four days, but who's counting? Oh, uh, yeah. Did they try to keep you after the time was up? They did. I mean, so... Entice so, you with SDS money? So, again, I'll give you a couple funny stories. If, if, um, the, the day I actually get there, so I, I owned a security company, and... Um, I had While worked, you were on the job, yeah, yeah, well, through through most of it, I own my own business, and and so I, David Letterman was like one of our principal clients, 
And um, I'd worked the night before, which would have been my first, the next morning, first mm -hmm. day in internal affairs. And probably like six in the morning, I was getting, a, like I had just developed a terrible stomach virus. But you got to go down to 315 Hudson to Lower Manhattan mm -hmm. and go meet the chiefs. Like it's these two guys with Campisi and Crowley. Those, I don't know who it is anymore, yeah. but they were the chiefs of IAB. So I'm sitting outside of those guys. Office. Never even took a cup of coffee. They were so honest. Yeah, I'm sure. What are you talking about? Every Monday you had to do this? <laughs> no, no, no. This is like your introduction. Like I just got transferred. That's what oh, okay. so They make you book. go down. Never and then, took a cup of then coffee. Then you go, and then mm -hmm. they hand you like your paperwork and tell you, "All right, this is where you're being assigned." Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting outside of this guy Crawley's office. I guess he was the, the executive chief there. And you got the shits. I'm forgetting. No, I was going to throw up all over the place. Oh, okay. And so the guy. They see me, and I'm soaked in sweat. And he's like, son, it's going to be okay, man. It's not as bad as you <laughs> oh, think it is. I'm God. like, no, you don't understand. I don't feel good. He's like, listen, I promise you. He's like, you get six weeks vacation. You get 20-something chart days. He's uh -huh. like, you're going to do training. All the cheese you can eat. He's like, it's going to go really fast. And he calls me in his office. And I hurled all over his office. Oh, I mean, great. Really? Excellent. Oh, it was brutal. And he was so mad. I mean, so mad. He's like, you could leave now. You know, like, Where did so, you do this? On, like, right in front of his desk. You know what I mean? Sitting just, in, like, on the floor I was right so there, sick. Was... You know, I just hurled in front of his desk. <laughs> so he's like, you can leave now, you know? So I get in the car, and I drive home, and I went sick for, like, the rest of that week. Yeah, that was one week I didn't have to work in the mm -hmm. rat squad. It was great. <laughs> I come back to the unit. I, come, I go to the unit, and... Uh, Everyone's like, ah, oh, that's the dude that threw up in the chief's office. You know what I mean? So like, I, I'm already like, I'm already known. And then mm -hmm. they hand me my first case, mm -hmm. and and I don't. I'm very frank about it. The girl, the case was a girl who named herself. Remember, they're filing the complaints, internal affairs. Mm -hmm. She calls herself Crystal Pink Foster. Mm -hmm. Guess what her career profession was? Prostitute. Of course. So she accuses some vice guys of stealing, and no money. Uh, they accuse them of stealing like two sets of. Uh, chocolate anal beads, a dildo, <laughs> and a watch. So the watch makes it a criminal case, right? Mm -hmm. So they handed it to me. I think it's a joke. I, 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 you know, I, I'm like, all right, haha. And everyone's laughing. Like, all right, joke's on me. This is what you do to the new guy. The mm -hmm. FNG's getting messed with, you know? Uh -huh. So I go to hand it back to my lieutenant. He's like, nah, nah, dude. They're still laughing. He's like, that's yours. I'm like, nah, listen. All right, I get it. You're making fun of the new guy. So I try to hand it back to him. He's like, nah, I'm serious. That's your case. It's a real case. So uh -huh. like, i like, I am who I am. I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. I thought you guys brought me here to do, like, real cases. I'll do what you want me to do here. Mm -hmm. But I am not investigating this. You think I'm going to bring six detectives in to ask them if they stole chocolate dildos and anal beads? I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. Uh -huh. So the inspector walks out, and, like, he's got one of his little rat sergeants with him. He's like, oh, hey, good. we investigate cases to their full conclusion. You never know where it's going to go. They couldn't find a bad right. guy in Rikers Island, right. none so, of them. So I'm like, I'm like, I know exactly where this is mm -hmm. going. In the garbage, because I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, so... I was quickly public enemy number one in that place, you yeah. know. You know, I ran out. We used to, just we used to work, I was in Manhattan North Homicide. We used to work hand in hand with IAB on police shootings. And they, they had no clue. No. They had no, no fucking clue about no. what they were doing. And no. they, they just watched us. And they were like, wow, that's how it's done, you know. No, it's, it's unbelievable. It's not, it's, not that kind of, it's not that kind of place. I mean, I, I don't want to, like, make this thing about, like, the horrors of internal affairs. But right. I think the, 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 the commander of a unit typically is a guy that did most of his career there. Right. So, like, he could, he could tell you everything that's in the book, but he's practically never applied anything. Right, right. And he's been there as a sergeant, a lieutenant, a captain, an inspector. Right. And they're promoting these guys from captain and above mm -hmm. with founded cases. So if you've right. got a nonsense case, and it's nonsense, but they can go, hey, but someone mm -hmm. followed you and you were 10 minutes late to work, 
that now becomes a founded case. So they're doing anything they can. Well, they were. I don't know if they are now to push them forward. You know. So you know, we had a case up in the three. I'm sorry, what? I didn't mean to cut you off. What did you do with the beats? What I do? What? <laughs> the animal beats. Once, you, once you found them, you still got them. Get back to the vice guys. <laughs> no, we we had a case up in the uh, the three O where this guy got kidnapped off the street and stabbed and killed the guys that kidnapped him. But he was a drug dealer, you know? So the DA's office didn't prosecute him. About six months later, they, like, light him up and they kill him on the street in front of the building. We started doing an investigation. The whole building was owned by his family, running drugs out of the whole building. And the cop that we gave the... that was related to them worked in the 3-0. And she was still on probation. We were like, fire this bitch. Right. You know, they didn't. That we gave them a case like this, and they were like, there's really nothing we can do with this. IEB captain says, there's really nothing we can do. I go, what do you mean? They can't? We gave you this. It's, she's conduct on, but she's on probation. Get rid of her. Yeah. Oh, the family's running the drugs in this. Her father got A1'd. Her uncle got deported. Their whole family, it was like a big drug operation. And she's probably still in this job to this day. A total loser. Mm-hmm. I probably was super. You know, yeah. <laughs> Total loser, this girl. That's terrible. So we were screaming at her when we interviewed her. <laughs> so you're in IAB, uh, you're locking up cops, and uh, uh, yeah. what happens next? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, I, uh, you, you asked if I was going to stay there. I, I did it. Like you did your two years? Three months and four days. Three months, four days. And, and then uh, you, when did you... Uh, then up? I went to uh, JO, Joint Organized Crime Task Force. I went to... Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a, a good jo- unit, FBI right? FBI group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was... It was it did was you have to get federally deputized? You do. You got to so get So you, you, you raised your right hand and put your hand on an FBI agent's yeah. ass? What did you have to do? <laughs> How'd you do that? <laughs> yeah, so... No, what, what, what was the process of getting deputized? Yeah, it's... A, it's you know, it's involved because they're, they're going back to, like, your elementary school. They're oh, good. people. I mean, they, they do it. They, they do a very, a very... You had to get the, the clearance, right? You the, do. You, you know, it's a very involved financial background investigation on you. And I was doing financial cases there. You know, uh, organ, Albanian... I did YAKS, Yugoslavia, Albania, Croatia, Serbia. That was my countries. And then I had... There are some nasty organized crime Agri- people, right? Yeah, yeah, they're brilliant. <laughs> they're brilliant mm-hmm. jewel thieves. They're, they don't say a word. They're t- that's a tough. They're tough. Like they never talk when they get they, caught, they right? Don't. They don't. They're like mm-hmm. Russians, right? They don't, they don't say a word. They're worse than the Russians. They yeah. never speak. The, the Yaks are, uh, what are they again? Yugoslavian, Armenians, Croatians, and Serbs. Yeah, Albanian, yeah. Croatian, Serbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, and then I had financial terrorism. So I had, you know, and, and, and then I wanted to be there anyway because, mm-hmm. you know, my, my partner was killed on 9-11. So my goal for the whole time was to get to a unit where you could impact some change and catch some of these savages, mm-hmm. you know. You know, in the 80s, they used to, when the Yaks came to New York, they used to take a van and, like, drive it right through the Fred the Furrier front window and pull up in a Grand Fury with a light. And when people were like, what's going on? Well, the police, we got... And then they would load the van with all the furs. They did the same thing to <laughs> Tiffany's. They used to do it all the time in the north and the south. And then what they also would do, they knew police procedure, they would call a 13, like 30 blocks away. So every single car would be at the 13th while they're loading the furs or the jewels, and then they would go across no. the 59th Street Bridge. No, they're brilliant. Yeah. I mean, for, for, for yeah. what they do, they're brilliant jewel thieves. They're brilliant. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's happening now while you're um, with, the, with this new terrorist thing, the new place that you're working with the Yaks? Oh, you mean in, in organized crime? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like I said, you, you, in that unit, you, you, they're very veteran detectives. These are guys coming from, like, homicide units. Or you get the car? 
You get a car. Take home know. car. You do. You do. Credit, uh, you get credit card. The phone. <laughs> you get a phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they treat you. You know, treat they, they treat you well. There's an ex- expectation that I would say as a supervisor, there your, your primary responsibility really is to make sure that the boys play in the sandbox well. Mm-hmm. The, 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 there, there is some obvious tension at times between the two agencies, and your job really is to make sure that all mm-hmm. all people play in the sandbox well, and that the cases are constantly moving forward. You know, and, and again, was any of this connected to terrorism at all? Well, the the uh, you, the Albanian Yugoslavian Albanian Croatian stuff. No, they we, they were really jewel thief case jewel cases we were doing. Okay. The financial terrorism was was what you'd think it is. You, you're you're chasing at some level. You're either heroin coming in this country, or you're doing trademark infringement, and then they're sending that money back and using that right. to to finance their terrorism. Trademark so, counterfeiting, like counterfeiting goods and stuff? It unbe- it's an unbelievable amount of... Those Rolex watches that they sell, you get watches. them wet, they just disintegrate. Yeah. <laughs> Those $5 Rolexes. Yep. Pants, <laughs> sneakers, computers, Apple Apple yeah. software. It's, it, it, it's, involved, it's involved how much money they're really raising yeah. through, through trademark infringement. Not, it's incredible, yeah. right? So. Yep, that's uh, that's organized crime. As it's fine, it's, you know. Uh, so, you just had me thinking about when you're talking about the counterfeit stuff, and I was thinking about Rick, Ricky Gervais. Uh, God bless him. He was uh, supposedly he t- he had a great time on the Golden Globes oh, yeah. awards, and he uh, kicked some ass and told some really funny jokes. And one of the jokes he poked fun at, uh, I guess it's the morning show. He he commented how great the show is. It's got a couple of big stars on there. And then he mentioned about uh, he he quickly went into um, about how the C, uh, the Apple makes products in China with slave labor. Yeah, Basically, right. that was the joke. <laughs> and then it got me thinking today because I get a lot of calls, and there's it's somebody speaking Chinese right off the bat. Yeah. Like they don't say hello and then try to sell me something. They're just speaking Chinese, and I like I just hang up right away. Now I'm thinking, fuck, maybe it's somebody. Like at the Apple thing in China, and they're like, help us, help us. We're fucking here with crap. I'm only making 20 cents an hour. And they're fucking hanging up on them. Maybe like, they're making phones all day, but they probably don't have access to a lot of them. So when they get a chance, they're like, da, 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 da. Like, oh, help. They're, they're calling for help. It's great. It's great. So uh, when did you get to writing the book, man? That's what I'm curious about. Uh, so um, the book is called Balls, Brawls, and Badges. It's a big, freaking thick book, bro. Yeah, you have pictures in here, man. But, uh, but there's a lot of words too. We are still cops, right? So <laughs> what gotta the be fuck? Some pictures in there. Well, at least you big use the big typeface. Not big <laughs> enough. But um, it's uh, so. How did you get to? How did you get to writing the book? Like, what was the the the, the core thing? So, um, 2010. Um, for about six or nine months, I'm I'm really not feeling too well. Like, mm-hmm just sick every day and i kind of thought like ah man what kind of sickness yeah coughing up like some blood blood, yeah very lethargic like at that time i wasn't the fat man that i am today you Mm -hmm. know i ran five miles you're really not fat five days a week Uh, (laughs) so um he wants to take it back everything he said no he can't no no i said stocky like (laughs) built i don't think he's fat so um you know sometimes sick wait a minute you said six months you're coughing up blood yeah, periodically, and just, just, just generally, like, very lethargic. Being blood, like, too? No, no, just just coughing up some crap and running low-grade fevers and just generally, like, really lethargic, you know, like, so so over maybe, you know, really about nine months, but six months, I was 
I was just not feeling well. And I was like, mm -hmm. God, this is, everybody said, you know, you start turning 40, it starts to break You're down. You're just 40 at this yeah. point. Yeah. Okay. No, so you start to break down. I guess this is it. Mm -hmm. I was never really a big doctor guy anyway. I never really went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. So, um, you, you know, like I said, we would go in the gym, we work out every day. And it had gotten to a point where I, I couldn't walk a mile on a treadmill. So over six months, I went mm -hmm. from running five miles, I couldn't walk a mile. And it, the guy I worked with, the lieutenant I worked with in internal affairs that mm -hmm. gave me the, the, the vice case with the anal beads uh -huh. was now the lieutenant in OSID with me in JOCTF. And he's like, hey, listen, let's get the hell out of here. We'll go check on our guys. We're doing a takedown in a couple couple days here. And um, he took me to some like clinic, you know, where he took his kids in Queens mm -hmm. where he grew up. And the guy was like, listen, um, you know, they did some x-rays and he's like, I think you have pneumonia. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's been set in for a while and you should have been here a while ago, mm -hmm. but no, no problem. We're going to do the x-rays. I'll take a look. I'll, I'll get back to you, you know, so... Twenty minutes later, he came back in. He's like, "Hey, um, your partner Ronnie, is, is he outside?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "You want to bring him in here?" I was like, "I'd love to have him in here. Mm -hmm. Sure, bring him in." And he's like, "Hey, uh, what are you going to do? The cavity thing? Yeah, so who knows? Cavity sensation. He's help <laughs> just to hold you down. <laughs> <laughs> this guy looks strong. <laughs> he may buck right off. Yeah, the right. Exactly. <laughs> so he's got um, he's got two copies of discs in his hand, and he looks at my partner, and he's like." You guys still cops? He's like, yeah. He's like, you got that bubble light in your car, that red light? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm pretty sure your partner's like imminently going to have a massive heart attack. And, and he goes, or or he's got a mass. And I just didn't hear the mass because we're a family that has heart conditions, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, he's like, get him over to like uh, Long Island Jewish or uh, I forget the other hospital right near it. He's like, get him, get him to one of these two hospitals because this shit's happening. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So they run me to the hospital. They do, they, they, they do their own x-rays, they do EKGs, and they're like, I see what he sees on the film, but, and it's odd that we're seeing the same thing, could be distorted, but it's odd that it's, he's giving us discs when we're seeing the same thing, but you don't have a heart problem, buddy. So they did a CAT scan by that time, like, you know how it is with the cops, like, everybody's there, I'm like, mm -hmm. man, officers, yeah. 50, 75 people in the emergency room, and the ER doctor comes in, and he, you could see, like, he just, like, the blank look on his face, as soon as I looked at him, I was like, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm fucked. You know, and he comes in and he takes the phone off the desk and puts it on my chest. And he goes, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not an oncologist, but uh, there's a tumor this big on your chest. And I was, like, I was like, huh? And he's like, and I wish that were the worst of it. And I was like, okay. He's like, you have lung cancer. I was like, no, I don't. I was like, I've never even tried a cigarette. I do not have lung cancer. No, you got lung cancer. It's there. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. He's like. And I wish that were the worst of it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like now, now, like I got a tear streaming down my eyes. Wow. And he goes, "There's a lining that covers your heart. It's called the pericardium." He's like, "And there's a piece on that fluid sac, mm -hmm. and it looks like it pierced in, which means you're gonna have ventricular tachycardia now, mm -hmm. and one in ten thousand survive it. So we're running the thoracic surgeon here, like now. They're gonna do your surgery now. They can't even wait. If it's blood cancer, it could spread it. But we got to get to you now. So Holy within shit. like a couple minutes, you know, I went from like." Not knowing anything, to right? To like doomsday, the world's spinning, and so uh, my my brother, the guy that kind of raised me, my brother Marty's a lieutenant out in Suffolk County. By that time, he'd shown up, and uh, you know I'm I'm shook. They they chased everyone out of the hospital. Now nobody's there. I'm come, I'm definitely shook, and uh, he he grabs me. He's like, "Hey, come for a walk with me." So he grabs me, walks me away. I'm like, ah, "Dude, what am I gonna do, man? I, I'm gonna die. My kids are gonna be without me." You know what I mean? Like, shit, I wasn't even here. I was working you know, 90, 100 hours a week, so I got this job. And he's like, listen, let's go to the cafeteria. He's like, honestly, he's like, pick anything you want to eat, man. Get anything you want. He's like, fuck it. 
you don't got a heart problem. Might as well start eating like shit. You know, so like he he broke the, he broke that like that tension tension moment, and so that was the reason for the book because at that point I was like, God damn, I, I'm I'm not going to be here very long, mm -hmm. and my kids, I've been everywhere I could for them, but I've been gone so much between the law enforcement job and running my own business. They don't really know what makes their pops tick. So and your kid, you, you said you have three kids. I do. And at that time, they was were, this all nine uh, eleven related? It was. It was. Yeah. So it was a rare form of cancer that well, they hadn't well, seen before. No. They had seen this before. It's completely treatable, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that everybody should be able to beat, but everyone was dying. That first group, there was like thirteen guys. They all died from it. Oh wow! Was it a misdiagnosis? Or? Nothing. Right on the money. They died. Well, well, once they got me to Sloan Kettering, they diagnosed it right away. They knew it was not stage. They call it four E because it was spreading so fast. Or 4E, exigent, non-hospital. What is spreading really fast? Like, what, just uh, how fast does that mean? Like, are they giving you time? So, Are they saying you got two weeks? Are they saying you have a month? Well, so my friend Angelo, he's got a couple of weeks left. Yes. And I don't even know what to do with that. Have I got that news? So the first oncologist, which would have been at St. Francis Hospital, Long mm -hmm. when she came and got basically the, the scans and the documents and the blood... They do a test to see how fast you're producing white blood cells. Mm -hmm. And I was producing them. Like, I, 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 my numbers might be wrong here, but let's say the average person at a high end produces white blood cells count at 2,000. Mm -hmm. And I was producing them at 98,000. Was that because you were in such good shape? Uh, no, I, because when you put, cancer you, was my it's my But if you're right? in really good shape, your body's probably producing cancer at a much faster rate because it's working much better. Right. Right, mm -hmm. so so it, it was we have a legal expert off camera, <laughs> by the way, in all our shows. Everyone in here is a doctor, a lawyer. That, he's also <laughs> the engineer of the show. What's up, Rashad? Welcome. Wearing many hats. <laughs> so, he woke up right now. He started talking about cancer. <laughs> that was his, it was his moment. He's like, uh, yeah, you got to have to. I took health 101 in college. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so anyway, um, the, the first doctor in St. Francis, when she got the results, was like, listen, you, you need to put your fast order. Like, you know. No one wants to put a number on it because, you know, no one wants it. No one wants to do that to you. But, you like, think sixty days to six months. Like you got to put your affairs in order. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, so the thoracic surgeon, the guy that actually cut the piece off my heart, mm -hmm. he came and he's like, "If you were my son, you're not." He's an older guy, sixty-five, seventy years mm -hmm. old at the time. He's like, "If you were my son, you're not." He's like, "We are a terrific hospital, St. Francis, but we're a hard hospital. Go to, go to Sloan Kettering. My wife works there. I'll make a phone call." I'll get you in there, you know. So he made a phone call, and we went and saw the head of lymphoma and leukemia. And uh, and then that guy really, he, he saved my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The guy's name was Craig Moskowitz, and he came in, and it, it, it completely shook my wife. But it was, what we're cops. We want just the yeah, facts, yeah. you know what I mean? So he sat in his office, and he's like, listen, n no standard treatment is going to work for you. There's a guy here um, that's that's going through the treatment I'm this. I'm running, I'm running something at him, and it seems to be working, and he's the first guy surviving. And he's like, I'm telling you, if you do a standard lymphoma treatment, you're dead. And he's like, wow. dead. And he goes, and I'm telling you now, if you do this treatment, he's like, the statistics say you have a 20% chance to live a year, but 5 to 20% chance to live a year. He goes, but you're young, you're healthy, you, you don't drink, you don't smoke. He's like, so I think your numbers are better. He's like... If it works, you'll be like our. If star. I were you, I'd start smoking and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So he's like, uh, he basically said, like, um, you know, 
if you go in this protocol, you got a shot. And if, if you die, you'll help others. And if you don't, if you and, and if you survive it, you're my star pupil. And my, my wife was bawling and crying because I don't think she was really prepared to hear that. And that was the one that kicked me in gear. I was like, all right, let's do this. This is a fight. Let me ask you a question. Um, the, the, when you went to Sloan Kettering, now you're speaking to this doctor. You're becoming part of a trial. Yeah, yeah. I'm my son works there now. He's a really? recent college graduate, and he's his job is to b basically put together all these folders for these trials. So if you were in a clinical trial, was. he was, you know, that's his job. So it's interesting, like that. Yeah, that would come small world, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you see, you mentioned your wife that she couldn't handle it, but you. I mean, she was a rock through the whole thing, but in that moment, that mm -hmm. that that was the one that really broke her. Mm -hmm. I don't think she was just prepared. He was so matter-of-fact about it, which uh, cops, we love. I just yeah. wanted an answer. Mm -hmm. He gave it to me. Yeah. I was like, all right. I don't think she really, that, that real that one was the one that had her all shook. And, um, and you know, they so right away, I mean, w within a very short amount of time, I was already getting the first run of chemo at me. And uh, they couldn't do radiation, which was problematic for me because it was on my heart. Mm -hmm. So they can't run the radiation at you. So it had to be straight chemo. And, um, you know, they did like the first, I don't know, first month worth of treatment and, it wasn't working, um, and it wasn't doing anything to me. I actually felt healthy. Like I was exercising again. Mm -hmm. fatigued, but exercising. And then I, and he was telling me, like, God, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. It's really going to mess you up. And, like, through that first month, I was like a copy. I was a cocky cop. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, come on, dude. This is no problem. I, I work 100 hours a week. I feel like I got the flu every day. I sleep three hours a day. That's true. You ain't hurting me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I came in for the second study protocol part of it. And he's like, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it's going to mess you up. I was like, yeah, yeah, you told me that last month, buddy. I'm lifting in the gym again. You, 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 do, you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. you know? You're a doctor. You practice. I was like, get in the car with a pilot. He don't practice. Mm -hmm. You practice. Mm -hmm. you, you're wrong. And so they ran 24 hours of chemo at me, and I got walked out of Sloan Kettering with help. They were holding me. I got in the car. We got on the FDR drive. We got four blocks, and I was throwing up outside the car. On the oh, FDR man. Drive. You say 24 hours of chemo. They run, they run three bags straight at you. For 24 straight hours. So you're laying, you're sitting in a chair. Laying in, he's laying in the bed, or sitting in the chair, and they just run it, and it's done. They give you another one, they give you another one. Uh -huh. So it did make you sick. <laughs> oh, that the second row well, crushed me. I mean, you'd go, you know, you, you'd get home, uh, and you were wrecked, and and then the next day or the day after, I can't remember. My memory's a little like shaken from, but the, you'd have to drive back. Someone would drive you back to Sloan Kettering. And they'd give you this thing called the new Lasta shot, which is like a load of steroids. I told you I'd get my steroids mm. in this story. Uh, uh. <laughs> so they'd load you up with steroids and send you back home. The problem with the steroids was like it, it really messes with your, your brain. Like yeah. you, you have terrible hallucinations. And, and then between the chemo and the, the steroids, you have moments every day where you're so, your body is so fucking hot. They're putting you in ice baths to try to cool you off. Like, wow. And then an hour later, you're so cold, your kids are climbing on you like with electric is, is blankets. Your, does your temperature actually go up? Fly, rockets. To, to everything's like every, everything's doing like five, yeah, you're, you're hot and cold. Yeah, you're, you're, you're wow. all over the map. And, and um, you know, and, I, and you know, but, but you're in a fight. And like for us, we're fighters. You know, so yeah. you're like, listen, just, just get me through this. I'm going to be out. I'll get through it. I'll get through it. I'll get through it. You know, and, um, you know, you're throwing up. You, yeah. you know, so, so um, the book... In theory, when I first got sick, I was like, I'm going to write this book. But then when you're that sick, you're kidding me? It's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's a miracle to yeah. walk to a bathroom. You ain't writing a book. So, you know, we, um, the, the job, to say, I was in my 20th year, but the job, I, I had what they thought was a... Uh, they a, give you that phone call like baseball? 
Hey, um, you're out. <laughs> Listen, Tim, <laughs> what did you want to do after police work? Because <laughs> we uh, got to replace you. <laughs> There's going to be a great spot for you, wherever that is. That's what happened to me, man. When I was told I was retiring from homicide, I see guys coming in interviewing for yeah. my job. I didn't like that, man. I just didn't like the way it felt, you know? Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is he doing here? Yeah. Oh, he's interviewing. I was yeah. like, oh, I mean, I'm staying. That's great. They send you down to the medical board, you know, like, and, uh, you sit in front of the board. I'm a shade of yellow. I got no oh eyebrows. God. And and I'm, I had been blacking out for like a couple of weeks, just passing out emergency, you know, EMS guys coming in like, and there was a cardiologist in the, in the board and she's like, you have a blockage. There's no doubt about it. You have a carotid blockage somewhere. You're blocked. Mm-hmm. So there was they, now they think it's a heart problem too. Oh, so man. they were like, I, I mean, literally I finished that meeting. I, I walked out the door and I got the phone call from the, from the union saying like, yeah, you're, you're out. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, why would they push you out when you're going through this horrible sickness? Because that that hurts you. I think right? I could have stayed, but 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 you know, at that point, I mean, your health insurance is better when you're on the job as right. opposed to when you're off, right? So so that might have been my decision, like thinking back in it now, but I wasn't really clear. I, I think it was just like you don't you, you were trying to probably secure your family, right? You don't have much time. You might you you should you should. In your head, you're thinking, let me get this three quarters now because I'm. Well, I still here. can to right. make sure that my family is okay. And and I I was suffering from cold weather. It was killing me. So we wanted to. My, I, I think I was mentioning my son was a recruited athlete. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to get down to warmer weather and get him closer to the colleges that were recruiting him. And so. Um, so we, how long have you been cancer uh, uh, okay now? Yeah, a couple of years, few years now. You know, Two years? No, nah, but more than that. I'm, I'm five years out now. Five years out. Yeah. But while you were suffering with the cancer, how long was that period for? Uh, on and off for few years well wow. the reason why i'm asking is because your son your, your your children you have three sons i have two sons two, and a daughter two sons and a daughter I, i'm sure they were probably you know they obviously they love daddy and they were probably going through a lot with you uh being because th- at that point they were probably in high school right uh high school middle school and elementary school but yeah. yet they still thrived yeah no nah, they did good i mean they, they had, they, 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 look you have your, your your oldest son went to West Point. Correct. Okay, and uh, then he went into um, what is he? Uh, the the paratroopers, right? He's a uh, he's a ranger, an airborne ranger, and he's uh, pretty soon going to be a Green Beret. Wow! So commander, you know, being a commander, come on, be commander. It's pretty impressive. We talked about uh, baseball and how about six hundred and fifty baseball players in the whole world. You know, it's the same thing with the Green Berets. Yeah, yeah, he'll you know be he'll be one hundred men will test today, but only three for the. Beret. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, bro. That's, that's an old that's song, man. That's from great. like the good, 60s. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that song? So uh, uh, the, kid, the kids did very well. Your I mean, second son, uh, was he the the the, the middle, baseball player? The, yep. the baseball player? College baseball player. And he's at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Okay. And he's uh, going to be a CPA accountant. Wow. Already. That's but great, he's playing that's baseball while he's there? He's not playing anymore. He's done. No. He's, he's, he's done. The commitment of athletics and, and academics. That's a great school. That's a tremendous school. And the baby girl is there as well. Your daughter's at Chapel wow. Hill too. Yeah, she what is, is she, a junior? She's a freshman. Oh, she's a but freshman. But she's really actually a sophomore. She, this should be her freshman year. She graduated high school early. So okay. she's, she's a year ahead. Oh, I did, I did the opposite. I, I should have yeah. graduated high school a year before. <laughs> I wasn't ready to get out yet. So when I went, when I went to college, they're like, you're a freshman. I'm like, technically, I should be a junior. <laughs> Oh yeah, and she, and she wants to do something in nursing. She just uh-huh, yeah, my son's gonna be a nurse too. 
It's, it's listen. That's great. I have to say that often. So I stuck getting used to saying that. Yeah, my son's a nurse, but either way, who cares, man? They start nah, off with eighty grand. Let's do it. And, and, Tim, and what's the what? What is there a danger of it coming back? I, I hope not. You know, I mean, well, I, what, I have they told you? Nah, you go I six mean, months. Once you get out five years, you're cancer free. Wow, so I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, that's like fantastic. Think, I'd like to think that's a wrap, right? You know? So. I'm, I'm beyond the five-year mark. You know, so. we're, we're all, Mark, myself, we're all 9-11 first responders, and we always have that hanging over us, that we could yeah. get cancer Yeah, tomorrow time. I'm going to go for a test. Yeah. I mean, I, there's nothing really just to check out. Yeah, this. I go like twice a year to Mount Sinai, which we recommend every cop out there that responded to 9-11, get on, nine, go to Mount Sinai twice a year, have them check you out, it's free, right? It's it's really important. Yeah, it's very important. Also, there's another thing, I, I'm, I'm, I have failed yet to do it, but you should go down... I was schooled on this. You got to go down to, I don't even know what office is. We'll get that information for you. But make sure that you register, that you are a 9-11 responder, so that this way, God forbid, you pass. Um, because of your illness is that you'll get the three-quarter yeah, Your family's covered, yeah. That's very important. So back to the book before sure. we close out. Yep. You, now you, you feel like at least you're in the clear with the cancer a little bit in the first stages. Is that when you start writing the book? So I wrote the book. I started writing the book in 2017. Mm -hmm. When we moved to South Carolina, I opened up a, a sports training facility, a baseball training and speed and strength Oh, facility. is that where you are now? I'm in North Carolina okay. now. Because, you know, I like to move. Yeah, yeah, you got to move around. So. <laughs> He's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So I, for, seven, for seven years, I, I, I owned and operated a sports training facility. What was that like? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, you're training athletes. How, how yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. You're, you're right? making you're making a bigger, faster. What did you have? It, what was the name of the facility? Pro Performance Athletics. Pro, and uh, what did you have inside there? You know, full full gym, cages, bullpens. Um, Sucking the money right out of those families, was, right? Uh, every, every, every parent <laughs> thinks that they got the next is freaking... <laughs> is this near Hilton Head? <laughs> it's uh, in outside of Charleston. Every parent, every parent thinks they got the next Aaron Judd. Oh, that's right. Judge, Don't right? spend anything. But you are yeah, right. Yeah, I did. You are right. I did. So, um, but I love those places, man. I like the all-in-ones as a parent because... You know, you can bring your child there, and they can go to the batting cage. They can get pitching, coaching, instruction. It's all in one facility. There's not a lot of driving around. You could, you could let them run in there. You can sit in the car, smoking cigarettes, having. You know, that's yeah. what I used to do. I <laughs> mean, what, the, what they get out of that facility, you know, the, the, the guy I was partners with like, had his doctorate degree in kinesiology. So mm -hmm. these kids, and he was a strength coach. He believes in Martians and stuff. This guy you worked with. What's <laughs> kinesiology? What is that? Martians, Martians. right? <laughs> I mean, he, uh, he. Um, you know, it's a strength. He's showing his seven hundred SAT <laughs> score. <laughs> you went into business with some guy who got a degree in studying much as well. So, I want to uh, sell you a bridge. So, um, so what happened? So you're in the so in seventeen, um, I get, um, I get sick. Like I'm not cancer sick. Mm -hmm. I just got really sick, mm -hmm. and I couldn't, I couldn't shake that it wasn't cancer. Like in my own brain, I was like, this is the one. Um, mm -hmm. And and it was at that point that I just was like, I'm that's it. I'm selling the business, mm -hmm. and I'm going to write this book. All right. So I, I I took uh, a step. It was 21 months to write the book. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it was 21 total months. 16 to write it and five to edit it. And like I said, the book was really going to be um, a story. The story was to tell my children what made us tick. Mm -hmm. So somewhat required lineage of our family. And and as I started to write the book, I realized this really wasn't a book about me as much as it is but it's a book about brotherhood my family my mm -hmm. immediate family and the brothers on this job the guys that became mm -hmm. uh, on my family you know here you are you know almost 30 years later these are guys you could call up in a minute and they're there for you and the girls and the people we worked with so 
it morphed into more than all just. the stuff that you loved. Yeah. So family. Basically, yeah. It's uh, it's what you loved. Yeah. And that's how they learn about you. You know, yeah. something. Mark, so it's funny when he just talks about that. Before we had Mark Mulitz come in here, mm -hmm. who was in my sister company in the academy. I don't <laughs> think I've seen him in twenty years, but mm -hmm. it's like yeah, no time expired at all. We you know no. hugging each other. Yeah. So you had this business in uh, North Carolina, in South Carolina, South Carolina, and it was thriving. You were doing really well, but you had you, and you sold it to write this book, and uh, it turns out that right now you have you've sold. Uh, a, 30 copies, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Did, did, did the book, was it worth selling the business? Uh, it was so worth it. Yeah, yeah okay, it was, good. It, I'm it, just busting yeah, your balls. Because our producer's one of the 30. It's called Balls, Brawls, and Busting Balls. Our producer read it, Mark. She loved it. She loved She's one of the 30 okay. people. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to read it too now. Because, I, you know, we have to, we share the same passions, man. That's what we're yeah. doing here. And I'm like, uh, you know, you could probably tell that I was a big baseball fan. I love talking to you about that. And, um, but you're still down there in North Carolina now? You're living there? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I love it. Do you yeah. miss uh, New York a little bit? Of course. Really? I mean, you miss your family. You miss your buddies. I miss a good slice of pizza and a bagel, dude. They don't have a good pizza uh, down it's there? Dude, it's, it's, it's an English muffin with ragu. It's oh, brutal. God. Uh -huh. you know. So, yeah. It's, it's terrible. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I know friends that have moved down there, and like, there's more to pizza, right? Especially if you're uh, cut out carbs the way I have. Yeah, you've got up pounds for our audience. <laughs> I did. I'm, I'm two did you? three days now. Well, that's. No, you got to start. I started not January. Out the woods yet? Haven't yeah. had bread since uh, the day before New Year's. <laughs> I haven't. So, but that was the one of the things that I thought it dawned on me the other day. I was like, I'm not going to be able to have pizza. Yeah, it's tough. So I got to pick like maybe one day a month where I have my pizza. Yeah, but pizza's great. Where can we find this book? Uh, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. And it's a good read. There's really some great pictures in here. And you have a phenomenal story to say, man, you covered it all. You were on the job. You did some wonderful things on the job. You responded to 9-11. And unfortunately, you got the cancer. Um, I hope that uh, that it never comes back. And it doesn't affect anybody else on our job anymore, man. Hope, hopefully, it's done. Man, We lost a lot of good people. Um, and uh, anything anything you wanna, important you want to say? I really just thanks for having me on. It was uh, this was a this was a blast. Thank you. All right. Thank you, um, you know what's amazing about this, and I say it every time, is one of my favorite things about doing this show is the people we meet doing it. It's I've amazing. Never heard you say right? that before. Yes, you have. I said <laughs> it last week. Every week I said it when Loretta Kennedy was here. <laughs> I've heard uh, you the say people that. we meet are amazing. Yeah, you yeah, know, and it's is, just it's just it's. I can't say it enough. Yeah, like I always mention, you know, we get the guests in here, and a lot of them are great law enforcement, and, you know, they, they've gone on to do tremendous things. But a lot of them don't sit in front of a microphone or do, do a lot of that, and uh, sometimes they're nervous. And Tim was a little nervous, but I you couldn't yeah. tell. Once I told you, once we start going <laughs> and cooking, did you forget did you forgot that we yeah. were filming this, right? That was terrific. It's terrific. Yeah. It's like talking in a bar, right? It's telling war stories yeah. in a bar, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a blast. We know we're all good at that. Right? <laughs> we got a couple of big announcements coming up. We wanted to do it today, but uh, I'll give you a hint. We'll be dropping the, the Louis Anamone, Louis, uh, Chief Louis Anamone's podcast soon. People have been asking about it, and we've held out for a reason, and that's the reason why, but we can't make that announcement just yet. Um, we're bringing so Barbara Butcher back. I spoke yeah, to her. Yeah, people have been I asking have the about exact that date, hour but two. People, yeah. Definitely. I went to Barbara Butcher. So, uh, Bill, any parting words? No, nah, we're just, you know, this is exciting because this is going to, when we get the national app, which I can't give you the exact date that it's going out nationally, but it's supposed to happen in the next week or two, 
And uh, so that's what I was I wasn't supposed yeah, to say. Yeah, well, you, you you don't have a date. You could say it. We don't have the exact oh, okay. date. All right. uh, it's going to happen, right? And then we're going to blow up, and we may need like disguises. We may need his security company to, to guard us. I have us, no you know? doubt. I have no doubt that this is going to become a very very popular show throughout the country because I don't really have. Um, it's not for me. I, I, it's a. It's like a. I want to do it because I want to. I want to get the word out about law enforcement. I want people to have a, a place to go if they need resources in their area, and stuff like that. Spread the word. Um, Plus, you like to make people laugh. Yeah, I like to make people laugh more than anything else. I want to put the shine on um, on law and people that have done great heroic deeds. And uh, Tim, my friend, you are one of those man. Hey, thank you very much. I really uh, appreciate it. Was a pleasure it. to have you, you here. Awesome. Thank you. All right, on behalf of the uh, police off the cuff, man, we're ended to our piece.